daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Singaporean president urged the business circle to avoid black and white views to seek opportunities with China and the world. The year of lonely in China starts off with robust box office takings and booming tourism. And can China's ice and snow tourism boom sustain its phenomenal rise and transform into an enduring trend? You're listening to Road Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Ge Anna in Beijing. To listen to this episode again, or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching Road Today. Singaporean President Taman Shamgalanam has urged the business circle to avoid black and white views to seek opportunities with China and the world in a more uncertain and unpredictable climate. He made the remarks while addressing the Singapore Chinese Chamber of Commerce and Industry at a Lunar New Year celebration. Citing China as an example, the president advocated for a comprehensive understanding of the country. He said China's facing some challenges, but its robust industrial ecosystem and world-leading infrastructure and logistics systems together underpin a fiercely competitive export economy. So for more on this, joining us on the line is Liu Zhiqing, Senior Fellow of Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University of China. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. First of all, the president mentioned the importance of viewing China through a holistic lens, considering both its challenges and strengths. So how might this uh, nuanced perspective impact business strategies and investments in China, especially from Singapore? As we know that it's quite important uh, as the priority when we make any decision to make an investment in any country. So Mm -hmm. we should have a right view or a a right way that uh, to make understanding of the country, the destination, for instance, China and other countries. Because as, as we know that China in the past month uh, has become the hot, po- uh, hot pocket for many countries to uh, to debate whether China is still uh, in a, a high uh, tide of growth or even China has met many difficulties unveiled. So in this way, that uh, how to make better understanding and uh, knowing China that uh, before you make a, a right decision, especially for Asian countries, Singapore, as we know, that is the first country that is to set up a very uh, close and friendly trade relations with China. <clears throat> we know that the first uh, uh, the joint venture that's made by Singapore and China on the state level. So at that mm-hmm. time, we uh, viewed China and as a very positive, very uh, advantageous country that for a bright future. That made the Singapore's businessman a very, uh, very bright decision that to have more investment. And from the past three or four decades, we see that the Singapore, the businessman has made the right decision and made a very well uh, business and investment in China has achieved. Very great uh, achievements that made both sides uh, prosperous. So in this way, I think it is quite important to make uh, the right uh, view or with the right uh, angle or, or lens that uh, to view China or and other countries to make your decision. Mm-hmm. Singaporean president also said, "What is indisputable is that China has a fundamental strength of its economy and emphasized China's robust industrial system and a vast talent pool." Uh, could you please elaborate on how these factors contribute to China's economic resilience and competitiveness in today's world? As we know, at the very beginning of the China's open up, uh, we we'll see that the China's manufacturing and grow up very quickly and occupied the major uh, industrial powers and uh, we exported the major products uh, through the manufacturing. And nowadays, I think uh, with uh, our policy of the high quality development, uh, we have more investment in the science and the technological uh, innovation, especially for smart technology and AI for the robust industry system has been well uh, built up. All these have become the major industrial power or the driving power for the China's economic growth. So this is why that 
the Singapore's uh, president has emphasized again and again the importance of lay great attention to this point because we have to know what the China's advantage. So they have to invest all these advantages point in order to get a better economic return or even have a better uh, closer cooperation with China also for the rest of the world, not only with China, but Singapore is a country small but with very innovative, innovative uh, forces that to, to learn and to uh, to support all the emerging markets. So it has a very good uh, deep found uh, uh, experiences in doing so. So that's the way that why Singapore that has emphasized China's uh, robust industry and the new industry area so in order to get a best booster for mm. the whole economic recovery of the world. The president also highlighted the significant growth opportunities in Asia, especially with China accounting for a substantial portion of global economic growth. What are your insights on the economic development opportunities that China is ready to offer to the Asian region in 2024? As we know, that China has, uh, even in the last year, the most difficult time for the world economic recovery, 2023. Mm-hmm. As we know, China's GDP always reached 5.2%, which is the highest among the global community. This China's economic recovery made over 30% of the contribution to the world GDP, to the world economic growth. So this is a very important factor to make a judgment that how important China's growth is for Asian countries. For some experts say that the China's contribution, economic growth can make over 40% of the total growth in Asian countries, Asian markets. So this is a very essential. Without China's further development or further opening up or even further growth of the economic field, I think the other Asian countries are think time have suffered uh, really a ha- uh, really a real headwind in mm. further development. We know in December of last year, China and Singapore upgraded uh, the China-Singapore Free Trade Agreement. What are your expectations regarding its impact on bilateral trade and investment between the two nations? And what growth opportunities can they offer to each other in the upcoming period? Actually, uh, there are many ways, there are many areas that for China and uh, Singapore to have closely cooperation. As we know, free trade zone is one of the uh, areas that we both sides have paid great attention. As we know, from the top level, the top um, uh, leaders of two countries have met each other, discussed this point, and also made great attention and emphasized uh, the give more favorable policy support to further develop and strengthen the free trade zone. Because the free trade zone between China and Singapore is not only for China's market, but also for the rest of the world, especially for the Asian countries. We know that they, uh, we can experience all these factors that we are facing, especially how to deal with the challenges, how to have Chinese companies to deal or to cope with the international rules and the laws and the meet the demands of the world market. So in this way, that in manufacturing, in the uh, high-ranking uh, know-how transmission, and even including the financial sections, uh, including education and the medical care, from both sides, we have done a lot for this uh, transition uh, period for both countries. I think in the future, the both sides can have more uh, trials in the financial investment and how to cope with each other's uh, uh, advantages and also challenges we are facing, especially for China. We are facing a very uh, important structural reform. So how to deal with such a reform, we can learn a lot from uh, Singapore and the Singapore uh, companies and the businessmen can also have their own experiences coped with the other and nations in the world. So for both sides, not only for the manufacturers, but all these advanced research institutes, we can do a lot.
Besides calling for a holistic view of China and the world,、uh, the president also cautioned against overly concentrating investments and advised businesses to explore opportunities beyond major markets like China and India. So, in your opinion, which other markets besides China and India should be worth considering for countries like Singapore? And how should China address concerns from some countries regarding this matter? Uh, first point, I should say China and India、uh, will still remain for a longer time that as the major destination for more investment because、uh, when China and India are becoming more mature in the in law system and also in talented people's education on the engineering, for instance.、Mm-hmm. So from the environment, I mean the the business environment of China and India is quite、uh, good enough for further、uh, investment, but of course. We can see a lot of other new emerging markets coming up, and follow the China and India's examples. So in this way, that like Indonesia, in my opinion, so it's quite a very uh, uh, progressing country with more、uh, innovation and has very good relations with the Western countries and also in the Asian countries, and of course in some BRICS countries like.、Uh, Uh, like Brazil, for instance, like South Africa, each country has their own advantages and disadvantages. But our problem is to explore their advantages to avoid their disadvantage. This is the point for both、uh, both sides for further cooperation. But I think it's worth to work with the、uh, new emerging market, especially for those new BRICS member countries. Thanks for your insightful analysis. That was Liu Zhiqing, senior fellow of Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University of China. The Chinese Lunar New Year holidays have witnessed a significant surge in the film box office, surpassing three billion, or about four hundred and thirty million U.S. dollars, including pre-sales. The surge in moviegoers coincided with a growing interest in tourism. A report released by the China Tourism Academy, the data center of the Ministry. Train of Culture and Tourism projected the total number of domestic tourist trips will exceed six billion in 2024, with the combined number of inbound and outbound tourist trips expected to surpass 260 million. To delve into China's consumption vitality and its broader implications on China's 2024 economy, Professor Liu Baocheng, director of the Center for International Business Ethics at University of International. Business and economics shared his insights. Let's start by delving into his analysis of trends or shifts in China's movie market today. Basically, we understand that, that this year there is a high enthusiasm, particularly among the young parents and the younger generation,、uh, bringing their children. And so this is because the、uh, Chinese movie is now. Completely market-driven because they have done a great job in in the、uh, assessing the consumer's preference, and so that's really catered to different type of generation. And、uh, of course, the younger generation takes the main the mainstream,、uh, where uh, it is also the,、uh, very much、uh, catered to the、uh, daily life of、uh, the people, so that people can build a sort of、uh, empathy、uh, with the movie stories. Professor, could you please elaborate more on the new trends and shifts in audience preferences? For example, because many say Hollywood films are losing traction, while Chinese movies are gaining popularity in China. How do you interpret these changes?、Uh, well, I do agree because、uh, it used to be the Hollywood movies with、uh, big action, even with violence and、uh, with、uh, supersonic themes, etc. But、uh, now I think the uh, Chinese uh, uh, consumer preference is more catered to、uh, what is going on in their daily life.、Uh, it's uh, uh, what they see is that how their neighbor, how their community would act, and how their、uh, relatives or younger generation would act uh, in uh, work occasions, in dealing with each other, and that's very much refreshing. And that's not so explosive, but、uh, it gives people a more Uh, sense of contemplation over、uh, how they identify themselves with the society and with the changes, and also 
uh, with the new developments that's uh, uh, pointing to the future. Yes, the Spring Festival holiday witnessed a significant surge in the film box office. But how do you assess this remarkable increase in movie ticket sales during the holiday period in terms of consumptionability in today's China? Well, the box rate is really very encouraging because uh, uh, people uh, do not only you know go to the movie theaters, but they also uh, uh, pay uh, per view. Uh, over the uh, individual movies, so both online and offline can really uh, there to boost the uh, audience. And plus, they uh, if you go to those movies, you, uh, uh, theaters, you can see that uh, the service, you know, from the comfort of the chairs, uh, from the supply of uh, the uh, uh, ice cream, of uh, all the amenities, it does really give people a holistic type of appearance. Uh, a sort of experience that uh, uh, you know you don't really feel uh, rather at home, but of course also you know uh, people have access over the uh, 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 all type of uh, means to uh, to uh, uh, read and watch those movies. And uh, I, I noticed that uh, people even on highways and you know when they sit in the passenger seat, uh, they continue to download and uh, uh, pay for the views. So this is really a very dynamic and also diverse way uh, for people to enjoy uh, their holiday and with more of inspiration they can really get from those movies. Professor, in addition to the vitality of the film market, the tourism industry has also outperformed previous years. This Lunar New Year holiday, the Ministry of Transport says China expected to see nine billion passenger trips during the ongoing travel rush, likely hitting a new high. Then, what factors do you believe have contributed to this surge in travel activity? Well, over the last few years, uh, you know, due to the interruption of the pandemic, and there has been really a pent up demand for people to uh, visit their home. Uh, you know, for the uh, health considerations, and uh, also uh, there uh, has been accumulated needs to visit it, uh, some places that they have uh, been yearning and also uh, uh, very much on the plan. And now, you know, with the health condition very stabilized and also with the good weather, I should say, uh, in most of the regions. And uh, then, you know, people are there going all out to take uh, the uh, full advantage of such a holiday, and there are, you know, very diverse way of uh, them for uh, arranging their tourism. There are people uh, who plan to go abroad, and there are also people who just wanted to spend some quiet time in the museums, and which are really uh, ticket free. And uh, also, there are there are people who wanted to explore. Uh, I know that uh, some of my friends go to the, those, uh, you know, snow-covered areas, mm -hmm. uh, either for skiing or either, uh, and also watch the uh, sculptures built on ice in Harbin. So, which is really uh, very exciting, and it shows that uh, people have uh, their own decision uh, in uh, what they really like, and it's a high level of uh, freedom uh, in terms of their, uh, you know, level of enjoyment with all the level of diversities. Scenic spots across China, like you said, reported sold-out tickets during the holiday period. What impact do you think this surge in tourism has on local economies? Well, uh, actually, uh, different localities really—they are really competing on uh, uh, tourism. You know, we have success, uh, successful experience in Shandong Province in Zuba with the barbecue, and now with Harbin on the ice. Uh, sculptures and uh, now some of the other cities they uh, also they uh, made a great efforts actually far in advance to attract tourism uh, with the box rates and uh, also with the uh, selling propositions from different uh, the historical sites uh, etc so uh, I think now uh, it's a very healthy competition where uh, you know the uh, the younger generation, and uh, uh, particularly the uh, I noticed the young families uh, with their children, uh, they are very much enthused. And not, also, you know, if if you look at in Beijing, there are bizarre markets, and there are uh, 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 many levels of uh, expression, uh, uh, the expectations and expos that attract the uh, audience. 
And of course, uh, it's not only uh, the box rate, but also uh, the, there are a lot of uh, Beijing operas mm. and uh, uh, fashion shows going on. So this is a, a, a high level of jubilee and also uh, with the gala performance. Professor, consumption played a crucial role in China's GDP growth in 2023 last year. Then how do you foresee consumption patterns evolving this year in 2024, considering the trends observed during the spring festival holiday? Well, uh, the government has been very much concerned as how they can really stimulate the consumption. And uh, now actually uh, we can see that uh, in, uh, despite of all, uh, all the policies, it is really the private decisions of those families and individuals in terms of what they really uh, want to pick from the supermarkets and also what type of movies they really wanted to go to. So it's the self-autonomy that's really there to determine the uh, marketization and consumer pattern. And having said that, we can see that uh, uh, the consumption pattern is very much in those uh, new gadgets uh, electronics and robots that uh, uh, can clean the floor, uh, that can really interact with people. And also e-vehicles are still on the high rise uh, when people are giving uh, a better chance of winning the lottery for the license plates. And uh, also people are uh, getting more and more environmentally sensitive. So uh, we can see that uh, uh, even on the highways, we do not really see a lot of people littering uh, over the roadside, etc. And so uh, they, uh, the other uh, uh, phenomenon I noticed is that uh, people are getting uh, more and more savvy with regard to what type of food they really mm. want to pick. It's not really, uh, you know, those, uh, you know, fat meat or uh, the high content cheese that they really want to pick. They get more sensitive over their health building and over the delicacies that they can really pick. And also given the quality of food and the quality of delivery. Uh, is very much uh, uh, elevated uh, due to competition and also due to the consumer awareness. Then how about China's role in the global economic recovery? Because in an earlier interview, Stephen Nellen Barnett, senior IMF resident representative in China, said the faster growth in China also has positive spillovers for the rest of the world. So how do you see China's role in driving economic recovery and supporting global growth, especially in light of the current economic growth? Well, the, uh, we can see the performance of the last year, despite of all the headwinds we made uh, both domestically and also over uh, international market. Uh, the Chinese economy is still highly resilient with uh, the 5.2% uh, growth rate registered, that's almost doubles the uh, global average. And this year, uh, I see that uh, the central government, the, uh, are really stabilizing the people's confidence and trying to also to boost the high level of development by supporting more of the innovation-driven economy and supporting the application of those pioneer technologies. So I can see that uh, this year uh, we'll uh, hit no, uh, no less than 5% again. And that's a quite a contribution on a global basis, given the geopolitical confrontation and given that uh, uh, even the, uh, uh, the uh, United Nations uh, uh, report that uh, there are uh, uh, over uh, 300 million people who are suffering from malnourishment. I think China is there to show up the uh, global growth, both in terms of GDP and also in terms of trade volume. And also, it's there uh, to help, uh, particularly uh, along the Belt and Road, uh, those people uh, who are uh, undernourished and who are not really fully taken care of by many other global organizations. That's Professor Liu Baocheng, director of the Center for International Business Ethics at University of International Business and Economics. Coming up, this winter, ice and snow tourism has emerged as a phenomenal level internet sensation in China. Can such tourism boom sustain its phenomenal rise and transform into an enduring trend? You're all listening to Road Today. We'll be back after a short break.
Welcome back to Road Today with me, Anna, in Beijing. This winter, ice and snow tourism has emerged as a phenomenal level internet sensation in China. A significant influx of Chinese tourists is heading to north, enthusiastically exploring the enchanting winter landscapes. What has led to the sudden popularity of ice and snow tourism in China? Can this internet sensation transform into an enduring trend? To unravel this. A frosty phenomenon. I had the pleasure of chatting with some insightful guests earlier. Professor Chu Chang, a research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University, Mario Kavlo, the founder and CEO of M Communications Group, and Mike Basting, a China observer and a senior lecturer at University of Southampton in the UK. Mario, I have to kick off our conversation with you, considering you are currently residing in the northeast part of China, Shenyang. Could you please share with us how winter life is treating you there? Thanks so much. And I got to tell you that winter life、um, is not something that I ever imagined in my life that I would actually say I enjoy it, and that I got used to the cold weather because. In my mind, growing up, you know, I just never liked the winter. We moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and like most people, we think we really love tropical, warm areas. And、mm. I never liked cold. But coming to the north six years ago really changed that for me, and it, it really surprises me. And this is the case with respect to Shenyang. You know, Shenyang is the capital of Liaoning,、mm-hmm. and The wintertime life, you know, local people, Shenyang Lao Bai Xin, they're they're used to it, so they don't、uh, hibernate in their homes all winter long. People go out, you know. It's a different mindset to say, well, it's ten below zero, but hey, let's go out. <laughs> you know, that's just that's just、uh, not something that people do who normally want, you know, are wearing their bathing suits and hanging out at the beach, you know,、mm-hmm. um, or Southern California, you know, where it's just nice mild weather all year long. So we think that mild weather is is what we prefer, but then we've come to understand no, no, no. And I think skiers know this better than anyone, right? As a wintertime sport,、uh, skiers look like a whole bunch of really happy people to me. And you know, there it is, freezing cold up on the icy, snowy mountain, and they're skiing, and they they look very, very happy, and they're active. And I learned that when you're active, when you're outside, when you're moving, you actually don't get cold, even when it's like ten below zero.、Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, overall, all of this surprises me to learn that the wintertime lifestyle, the wintertime economy, which you know tonight, as we're speaking about, exists here in the Northeast from. You know, all the way up through Harbin and Heilongjiang, and all the way down here through Liaoning Province and Shenyang, it really is a vibrant lifestyle. It really is a comfortable lifestyle. And I guess maybe real quickly, I'll mention this last point: the fact that winter in the north is here in China is dry, and so that does make a difference. There's not a lot of humidity, and I learned that in comparison to living in the south. Comparison to living in the Shanghai basin、mm-hmm. with Shanghai, Ningbo, you know, Suzhou, Hangzhou, where it's very humid, I much prefer ten below zero dry to five degrees when it's a bit more muggy and damp and wet in places like Shanghai and Hangzhou. I think that's a really difficult option for many of us, because Shanghai is also a beautiful city to explore. How about you, Mike? What reports on China's current hot ice and winter tourism have caught your attention, especially when comparing it to the winter thing in the UK? Well, I think the numbers. I think that the numbers have rocketed. I mean, let's make it clear. I think it's just about the first time since COVID. That the certainly Chinese tourists and perhaps you know, wider field have really felt the real freedom of their winter their winter holidays without any fear of lock, let's hope no return to any sort of lockdowns or infections or any any spread even locally. So I think that that's a big factor. I think what's most exciting about this is the fact that it's more and more international. So what we're seeing with Harbin. And surrounding areas, other parts of northwest China, ski resorts, bookings are up massively internationally.、Mm-hmm. So I think the international appeal of these the winter holidays and winter sports is there, and they are seeing parts of China as very much on their radar, on the map for their their winter snowboarding or skiing 
holiday. So that's the reports that I've seen in the the international press. So, you know, the figures speak for themselves. I think over 3 million visitors. I lived in China, lived in Beijing for seven years. So Mm -hmm. so I have been to the Harbin Ice Festival. It's spectacular. Uh, It attracts international tourists. But I think more and more. So I think that that for me is the the really exciting thing. Okay, it's exciting for the Chinese economy that domestic consumption is there. And I think more people from South China now really see a trip to North China as a real cultural experience, but also that international flavor. And just to echo the points made previously, the fact that it is dry, I think, is a big factor as well. Mm -hmm. And you don't get the humidity also in the summer as well, I think, is a factor. So we've got cold weather here in the UK, but when it's cold and it's wet, that's when you you really don't like. It really is not nice. But when it's cold, sunny, but dry... It's quite refreshing. So the international, I think, um, appeal of Harbin and other winter holiday destinations on the international radar is really what I'm seeing. Professor Chu, have you ever experienced such winters in the northern regions uh, in China? What local winter activities or popular attractions have left a lasting impression on you? Like, for example, uh, we saw on the news the Harbin Ice Snow Road theme park, bath centers, uh, morning markets, etc. Well, I'm very familiar with Harbin and, uh, you know, the, the Ice and Snow Festival. Um, I've been there, like, since uh, 15 years ago. Nice. It's amazing. Uh, it's a fantastic trip. Uh, I like the ice sculpture. I like all kinds of, uh, you know, fun that you can have in the, uh, you know, the amusement park made of all of ice and snow. Uh, the sleigh, the skiing, and all this uh, shows, uh, the fireworks, and everything. But, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, uh, that kind of fun is basically targeting certain group of, uh, you know, audience or tourists. Uh, the northerners or the, the ice sports fan will go there for sure. Um, it's more like a small fan club. And northern people like that, and a certain small group of southern people like that. We go there basically every, uh, you know, one or two years. It's actually extremely cold, very, very cold. Probably for the southerners, you wouldn't even imagine, or even for the northerners in America, you probably, or in a Europe, you probably wouldn't imagine how cold it would that be. That's, you know, uh, that's a uh, bone-touching cold, you know, piercing cold. Mm-hmm. Even if you have like two, uh, you know, sweatpants or like uh, three, uh, you know, sweaters, and even with a very, very thick jacket out there, you're still gonna be chilling, and you can help, cannot help yourself, you know, shaking your body because it's too, too cold. So you mm-hmm. need extra, you know, uh, the garment. You need extra equipment to keep yourself warm. So not so many people would like that kind of uh, fun unless you really know how to deal with the coldness. Unless you really are into that kind of a sports and that kind of a fun, and then you'd be really, been, you know, you're gonna you know, addicted to it. Mm-hmm. And after like three hours uh, out there in the open air, uh, crispy, crystal cold air, and then you come back, get a very typical and a classic uh, Dombe hot top, get some massage, and then to get some, you know, really, you know, authentic Dombe meal, very hot, very, very good one. And then you're going to totally love that. It's going to be a very different exotic experience in a winter that you can never experience in anything anywhere else in China or in anywhere of the world. And I think last year, uh, the Winter Olympics, you know, spread the images of the snow home to everyone. And then people get to know the island goo, people get to know about the, you know, the winter sports and, you know, all kinds of the thing. So suddenly people get the idea, maybe we can, you know, go there to, you know, take a take a look. There's another thing we mentioned frequently in uh, recent, you know, shows uh, that is called the quality and the performance economy, or we call it the good deal economy. So mm-hmm. many people are attracted by, you know, the low price, very affordable price by the uh, the Dongbei region, like in Harbin, like in Shenyang, uh, like in Changchun. So very good quality of food, very, very, you know, big quantity of, uh, you know, all kinds of the services, but, uh, you know, the price are very, very reasonable. So people get attracted to there. So first of all, people get attracted by this affordability and quality of services and food and tourism. And then people find out, wow, this is beyond my imagination. This is actually something I never experienced. You know, the, the ice, the snow, the, the totally different and exotic views of the nature. And so this gives you a, you know, a double 
uh, hit on your heart. And then people find out the local people are so passionate, so friendly. People yeah. are so, you know, keen to, you know, give you a good experience in here. So there's like a triple hit on your heart. So people fall in love with this uh, tourism and the people, you know, mouse words are spreading and one, one to 10, 10 to 100 and now become trending in all over China and the world. That really a vivid picture you have depicted. Uh, Mario, I think you want to weigh in on this. Compared to previous years, when a large number of tourists in China flocked to the uh, southern parts of China, for example, Hainan, to enjoy the sea breeze and sunshine, it seems that this winter people are more inclined towards the ice and snow world, as we discussed, the incredible surge in winter yeah. tourism across yeah. China. Yeah. Now, how do you interpret the factors contributing to the substantial surge in popularity of Harbin. Yeah, I really took notice of Professor Chung's comments. I hadn't thought about uh, the situation the way he described it. He's, he, he really did vividly describe it and accurately describe it, which is this point that, you know, you come here and it's freezing cold, it's 10 below zero, and people are out skiing and running around in the ice and the snow and people are happy and and the the characteristic of people in the north is that uh is very different than the south and central and and west sichuan you know people are different all over china and that's mm -hmm. the case in many countries and up here people are very friendly and down to earth they're very quick to become friendly with you uh to invite you to eat to have a meal whatever it is and it's a very uh it's a nice feeling um, when you come here and and you meet these people who who are this way, and then, actually, Professor Chung mentioned a really interesting point. One of the phenomenon that's, I think, I just got a handle on why this is happening. We're post-pandemic, and let's all be honest, right? That was a rough period, right? I mean, that was a rough three years, and it was a rough three years for the whole world, not just China. No matter how well China did with it, we China did extremely well with it. We saved millions of lives. It was very organized. We spent a lot less time in lockdown than most countries, but still, it was rough. It, it really changed the world, and it changed this country. And part of that, I think, uh, I think middle class households. Let me say that some middle class households and and small and middle small and medium sized businesses, retail businesses. I think a lot of them got hurt. A lot of them lost money. Right? They 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 weren't open for three years. They ran out of money. They ran through their money. Um, so perhaps we could say there's less money floating around. Okay. Now, if that's the case, but then guess what else is going on? Hainan Island became wonderfully popular. Well, guess what? It also became a lot more expensive. And Shenzhen and Guangzhou, relative to places like Shenyang and Harbin and Changchun, are, I'd say, at least twice as expensive, mm -hmm. if not even more. And Shanghai, places like Shanghai, um, Hangzhou... Beijing. Well, we don't talk about Beijing because it's already in the north. People would say, well, we're going to flock south and go down to Shenzhen or Hong Kong or, or uh, Guangzhou. But guess what? It's a lot more expensive down there. By the way, it's not as expensive as the United States. We were just back in the United States for one month. And it, the United States is seven times more expensive than Dongbei, where we live. That's the number that I would put on it. The United States is just so expensive where we were in Southern California. So I wonder that that's part of it. It's people are like, hey, wait a minute. Let's go north to Harbin. Let's go to the ice city. Let's go to Shenyang and go to the Shenyang's the king of spas, spas and bathhouses all over Shenyang. And they're a wonderful, amazing experience. Well, guess what? You can go to a spa all day in Shenyang for like 15 US dollars for like 50 RMB, 100 RMB. And you're in this beautiful five-star spa all day long, like in a five-star hotel. But it doesn't cost 50 to $100. It only costs like $15 because you're here in Dongbei. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I think people are looking at their budgets and going, hey, wait a minute. Uh, it's uh, it's expensive to go south. Wow, it's a lot less expensive to go north, to go up into Dongbei, up into Heilongjiang. Let's do that. And then they arrive there and they're staying in beautiful hotels for 300 RMB a night instead of 1,000 RMB a night. I think that's part of it as well. Indeed. Uh, Mike, previous panelists mentioned the affordability and friendly attitude from the local citizens. What's your take? What unique features, in your opinion, make it so appealing to visitors? Well, I think I echo that. I mean, my experience in China, and obviously I'm there a lot as well, having lived there for seven years, been visiting and staying there for over 30, is that um, I don't think we should isolate the north and the northeast. But the 
country and the culture generally is just very, very friendly. It's part of the DNA. It's just a very warm, welcoming culture that probably is the main reason why it attracts so many people, including myself, but particularly in the north and the northeast. I think what I would add is that the, the, the winter sports have become even more popular now. So snowboarding, skiing, I think that's really become certainly for middle-class China, and that's a real growing number, as we know, hundreds of millions. It's really seen as part of their their sort of lifestyle now, a winter holiday, a skiing, snowboarding holiday. And obviously, Dongbei, northeast China, perhaps parts of northwest China, Harbin in particular, and those surrounding areas are hotspots for that activity. So I, I think it's also the, the, the culture. I think there's been a lot of investment both from central government and I think I know that central government and local government in infrastructure as well. Uh, I think that's paying off across China as well. So it's not just value for money hotels, but hotels which are much, much the, the service is better, the quality is is, is better, and, and that takes time. The service sector normally lags behind manufacturing, but but that hasn't continued now. So I think that there's a change there in the service sector and the mm-hmm. delivery and also the fact that these sports, these winter sports are now part of the middle class China's lifestyle, which, which they are very much here. Just about everybody I know has a winter holiday, either snowboarding or skiing in this country. And increasingly, they will look, I think, to China for that. Professor Chu, you all mentioned the hospitality of the locals, how warm and friendly, because the local government in Harbin also implemented measures to enhance the travel experiences, such as giving southern visitors a nickname called Little Potatoes and transforming the city's subway into a free shuttle and uh, also writing thanks letters to all these visitors. They called this kind of spoiling a traveler's approach. So how have these measures impact the overall tourist experiences, in your opinion? Well, it reminds me, when I was in America, there's some town, very good town, Oak Town, they have the carnivals, uh, very traditional, like every once a year, or like a fireman. Everybody will be part of it. Uh, you are the local man, you are the host and hostess, but also you are part of this uh, festival. So in Harbin, it's turned into like that kind of situation. So in the whole city right now, turned into a, a citywide carnival. Everybody is part of it. Normal citizens, government, public service people like firemen and policemen, everybody are spontaneously try to shoulder their own responsibility, try to watch over each other's shoulder and try to provide services to the tourists. Because it's been so long since the city, very historic city, very beautiful city, has seen so many tourists and providing them the real deal good business. It's like uh, 6 billion Chinese yuan. It's almost like, uh, you know, 1 billion US dollar within three days. So this is, we call it the huge downpour of the money into one city. So everybody has been mobilized. Uh, you probably would know that in China, well, I think we have one of the uh, very special thing is that uh, once the government try to mobilize the resources to provide the services, it acts very, very quickly. Just take a mm-hmm. look at the current uh, you know, earthquake. Yes. Uh, very unfortunately, we have earthquake back in China, in Gansu province. But, and at the same time, they have the earthquake. It happened in Japan as well. But if you can, you know, watch all kinds of the footage of the report, you find out the Chinese services and the disaster relief came to the site probably within the three hours when the accident or incident just happened. And immediately everything was ready and the food was in their hands and all the tents are out there in the open air. When Chinese government try to mobilize the resources, they really are, you know, quick responders. They act very, very swiftly and quickly. So Harbin is another example, but it was a good deal. It's like, you know, they've been welcoming the guests, mm-hmm. celebrating this holiday. Well, it's more like a carnival lasted for more than like two or three months. Everybody's been mobilized. It's like an orchestra. So if you go there, there is an invisible hand, but also visible hand in there. Everybody knows what they need to do. You know, you will see a lot of volunteer drivers try to pick up, you know, the Southerners, uh, tourists for free. Nobody asks them to do that. They're just government to say, hey, this is our own city. Let's defend our city. Let's show the most glorious part of our city and our people to the tourists. Let's do it, man. 
and then everybody's mobilized. I think this is uh, this is more than just a government. It's more like uh, you know the local people's personality or characteristic. You know the Dongbei people are like that, very passionate, very friendly to the outsiders, and very frank. So I think it reflected very perfectly about how the city is. And I would like to add another one: is it's just a more than harbin. I think the whole uh, Heilongjiang province, as well as Liaoning province and Jilin province, they are very similar. And also other government, for example, the government in Liaoning province, you know, uh, in Jilin province is adjacent to provinces, provided lots of lots of help. They didn't say, OK, I'm going to be jealous of you. I'm going uh, to try a lot of things to grab more of the tourists back into my provinces. No, they didn't think of that way. They think, okay, my neighbor right now is putting on the party. Let's see what we can do to help them. And mm -hmm. then they provided all kinds of the performers, actor, actresses, and hospitality infrastructures, you know, fireworks shows, you know, everything put together. So it shows that China is not only a country, you know, big in economy, but also China is a country full of passion, you know, and friendliness. Mm -hmm. We are seeking for a win-win cooperation and a win-win result. Yeah, exactly, Professor Chu, what's your thoughts on the influence of social media on the city's appeal? Because social media buzzed with topics like frozen pier, ice and snow, road disco, and overnight at the bathhouse associated with Harbin. How have these social media trends contributed to the city's popularity, and what role does online presence play in attracting tourists overall? Yeah, I think social media actually played a very important role in this round of uh, trending urban tourism. Harbin, you know, it's been walking and seeing and learning. Because uh, if you if you know the fundamentals of uh, northeastern China, you will know this is never a place famous for being a tourist destiny. Well, this is the heavy industry center of China. It's more like suddenly one day you find on Twitter or you find on Facebook that someone are yelling, hey, I found a place. I found uh, Detroit or Tennessee is really a fun <laughs> place. Let's go there, mm -hmm. right? And everybody's getting you know, curious how the hell like Tennessee, Idaho or Detroit is going to be very good for the tourism. And it's going to be fun so people get lured about the curiosity and, mm -hmm. you know, people turn on all kinds of social media. Like in China, we have the little red book. Uh, mm -hmm. We have, uh, you know, Weibo, we have uh, TikTok, Chinese version. And then the words has been out. It's more like uh, the messages are going viral. Everybody are seeing it. Uh, something is beyond their understanding. You know, my students uh, from the South, they tell me, well, I'm a Chinese for like 20 years, but I never know China is so big. And I definitely never can imagine that in another part of China that a big pot of the chicken only sells like $5. <laughs> this yeah. is beyond your imagination. And a hotel will only cost you like $50 a night. And also a big pot of potato only costs you like $1 or 2 so it's beyond their imagination. They say, I got to go there no matter how cold it is and how industrial you know, style it is. And after they go there, they see another picture, like I mentioned, a triple hit on mm -hmm. their heart. And then people get shaken by what they've seen and experienced. They cannot wait to tell people. So then they started the second round of the you know, publicity of here. So actually, the hotness of this uh, trending tourism phenomenon actually started at the uh, end of the December. Actually, the first round of the students and young people used to go there individually by themselves. There's no pre-message at all. They just go there just to try somewhere they heard from their just a friends or, or classmates. And then the second round actually started at the end of the December and early of the January of this year. And then it became nationwide and now global wide. Trust me, no matter where you are right now, you're hearing this show and um, just to grab an air ticket to fly here. It's visa free and to come here. You only will spend like $100 or $200. You are going to have a crazy and great fun day. So why yeah. not have a try? So a yeah. lot of people know about this uh, situation and they heard about this on social media. And definitely social media played a very important role in here. Not only this time, but also the first half of the year in Zibo, the city, also another industrial mm -hmm. city, get famous because of local barbecue. Yeah. And then it also becomes a great success in a tourism destiny.
Mario, because speaking of building a city's brand image、uh, through internet or social media platforms, that reminds me the selection of the 2023 buzzwords in China we talked about earlier. Hustle in Zibo, the barbecue city mentioned by Professor Chu, and、uh, the Chunqiao football game, the Village Super League, both of them. Have risen to prominence and gained popularity nationwide through social media, becoming the so-called internet famous city. How would you evaluate the prevailing trend of internet sensation in China? You know, it really is is quite interesting, and I'd like to see Shenyang figure out how to get themselves on the map in that regard. I was just thinking when you mentioned the other two examples, the village、uh, games and the.、Uh, Zibo, the barbecue Zibo city. Zibo barbecue, yeah, yeah. Here in Shenyang, for example,、uh, the foreign community is even getting involved in winter sports more prominently this year.、And、there's going to be a big、uh, ice curling tournament. The premier、uh, hotel property in the city is the Conrad, and it's gorgeous. It's in the lobby of the hotel here in Shenyang is on the 88th floor. It's one of the highest five-star hotel lobbies in the world. It's it's really magnificent, and it's right here in Shenyang. What a great thing to come and visit! And with at the Conrad, the European and American and German chambers, and we all know BMWs up here. So there's a substantial European and German community in particular. They're the biggest contributor to the local economy here in Shenyang, and they're famous worldwide. The foreign community—they're getting together and doing a winter sports ice curling tournament. And I'd like to see—and I don't know if it is yet on in on the internet and on social media. But I really would like to see Shenyang catch up in this respect and take advantage of that opportunity, where the power of the internet is there and it's real. And China's social media is completely is so unique. You know, one of the funny things about Chinese social media, and it, I don't have any desire to talk about politics, of course, but you know, in the West, people say, "Oh, people in China don't can't criticize the government, or they don't criticize the government." And I laugh. I I just laugh because I go, "Oh, you haven't been on Chinese social media. That's because it's in Mandarin, and you don't know." There's lots of people in Chinese social media complaining and whining about this and that that they wish the government would do this and that. You know, so Chinese social media. Media is a very vibrant and passionate place. Of course, back to the positive point that in this case,、uh, it is helping create these amazing economic stories that are rooted in being culture and lifestyle stories. That was Mario Cablo, the founder and CEO of M Communications Group. The Professor Chu Qiang, a research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University, and Mike Basting, a China observer and a senior lecturer at the University of Southampton in the UK. That's all the time for this edition of Road Today with Mika Anna. Thank you so much for listening and a happy Chinese Lunar New Year. <laughs>